welcome back to Cloud Unfiltered. I'm Ali Amagasu. I am still at KubeCon. I know it seems like I've been here for weeks and weeks now. In truth, it has just been a couple of really long days where I've met some incredible people and learned a lot of things about the state of open source. So uh, my latest guest is interesting, different from the other folks we've talked to so far in this series. His company is something of a user and almost a vendor. He'll have to explain what he what what this relationship is with uh, Kubernetes. But uh, let me introduce him first. His name is Matt Krieger, and he's a co-founder of Manifold. If Manifold sounds familiar, it's because we had one of his colleagues on last year, James Bose, I believe his name is, CTO at Manifold, right? Yep, and I'm not sure I can fill those shoes. <laughs> James did do a nice James, job. James did. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Matt. Pleased to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. So I did a um, really bad job right now of making it clear to our audience what Manifold is and does and why the heck you guys are at KubeCon. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Sure, I, I can try to clear it up. So our relationship with Kubernetes, I mean, it runs almost back to the, the Kubernetes being formed, what Kubernetes means to the community in general. Maybe I'll go back even further. So I'll talk about where Manifold really started. Manifold started as a, as a company that was focused on secret management. So this open source project called Taurus, which is still out there in the wild. And the problem that we wanted to solve is the problem of sharing uh, the configuration that you use to connect applications in the cloud. So you go and buy an email service like Mailgun off the shelf. And the thing that you get in that transaction is a set of credentials that you use to log into Mailgun and a token that you use to connect to Mailgun from your application. And the challenge, of course, is if you're building an application that uses a collection of these services, and this is you know, pre-Kubernetes changing the world, pre-microservice, pre-serverless, then you have all of these tokens and accounts, uh, each with different credit cards on them, just floating around. And you're never exactly sure who set up which account um, and which tokens are being used in which applications and in which environments. So you, you need different tokens for development, staging, and production. And if you've got multiple, if you've got multiple people working on the same project, which we almost always do, they should really all have their own token. Sounds complex. Yeah, you've got a lot of these secrets floating around. And so that was the problem that we wanted to, we started with. But we knew that we wanted to grow from secrets into a marketplace of developer tools and services that was cloud agnostic. So the, the idea initially was that we would bring together all of the tools and services that you don't build, you buy, and we would make them available in one marketplace that wasn't connected to any cloud, that you could bring with you to any cloud. That was really the, the point initially. Right, because every cloud has its own tools right now. Yeah, right? so if you go and use AWS, you're going to use AWS SES. Um, you're going to use AWS S3. You're going to use a collection of services that are only available on AWS. And as Kubernetes has made it easier and easier to build applications that are truly portable, you can pick them up, and Manifold did this pretty recently. You can pick them up and you can move from Amazon to GCP. And uh, what is there that's going to prevent you from making that transition? Well, it's not the stack that you're building on. Kubernetes and Docker have made it easy to take an application from one place to another. It's the tools that you use that are only available on one platform. So only available on AWS or only available on GCP or only available on Azure. And the problem there is that if you need to modify the things you've moved or whatever, you would need to use those tools? Or, or those tools just aren't available at all. So you might, you, you might just not be able to move from your... You're effectively locked in. You're effectively locked in because you can't move your stack if you're dependent on a tool that's only available on one cloud. There's obviously some exceptions. 
maybe latency isn't an issue. So you can continue to use uh, some of the tools and services across clouds. And now you're starting to look at more of a, a hybrid cloud infrastructure. And it's happened just by default, not something that you've consciously made a decision to do. So I think that's that's where that's kind of where Manifold started. And then I'm going to bring it back to Kubernetes for a second. Kubernetes was the honestly was really the first place that Manifold got traction was in the Kubernetes community. So we expected, like most small companies building tools for developers, we expected to start with startups in the grassroots. And what we ended up with was larger companies who were adopting Kubernetes and wanted that portability using Manifold to purchase and manage all of their services. And the really exciting thing that Kubernetes let us do was to build an end-to-end workflow. So um, it's one thing to say you're cloud agnostic, to say that you can use Manifold and our command line tools on any platform that you're using. But Kubernetes was the first opportunity because of the APIs and tooling that it gives you, where we could make it really simple for developers to inject credentials directly into a Kubernetes cluster, for example. So let me explain what that might look like. So right now, if you're going to set up a cluster, on you're going to set up a cluster on I don't know GCP or maybe you're using DigitalOcean's new managed Kubernetes service. You get to describe most of your application in code. The part of your application that you can't describe in code is the part that you're not responsible for managing. But it is a critical dependency in that in that infrastructure. So you're if if you need to send out text messages or email or maybe you're using um, a managed database. All of those things are critical to your application, just as important as any of the infrastructure that you are responsible for managing, except you have no way of describing them as dependencies. And so the first thing that we did with Kubernetes was we built a set of tools that allows you to describe the managed services that you're using, automatically provision them, and then inject the credentials that uh, result from that provisioning directly into your into your cluster. So Very cool. Yeah. So you are here talking to other vendors or to to you to other users or what's your relationship to the to the people here at this event at CNCF? Yeah, so um, the vendors are uh, yeah they really are our customers. The challenge if you're a vendor, um, so if you're a developer facing company, is that you need to build. Developers just expect you to to meet them in their workflow, right? That's just the expectation. And so what you see is you see a lot of vendors who build. Um, they have to they have to maintain a huge number of integrations, which is a distraction from the core technology, the core thing that they're offering, which is usually a mix of an API, some sort of some sort of uh, human service. So maybe it's a, a database that you're having. The, the database has a, a, an API. It's Postgres. It has an API, but then you want a human being to help you do a backup or to help you do a migration. So there's a lot more to I think most vendors who are here at CNCF than just an API. And so really what we try to do is we help those vendors reach these developer communities without having to build uh, countless integrations. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So it's interesting because when James was on last year, I really was thinking of you guys as more of a Kubernetes use case or a case study Uh, because you do use it as well, right? You're not just part of the ecosystem you actually are users. So help me understand, you've given me a picture of how you guys are interacting with other vendors, how you're helping that community uh, use Kubernetes. How are you using Kubernetes? So Manifold is built on Kubernetes and we're an active member in the Kubernetes open source community. Uh, Manifold, I'm not sure if Manifold would exist without Kubernetes. Are you new or you've been using it for a while? We've been using Kubernetes since, so uh, we adopted Kubernetes I think all of our initial infrastructure was actually based on Kubernetes. So we are early adopters of Kubernetes, yeah, for sure. 
yeah, Kubernetes enabled us to move from Amazon to GKS, which when you're a startup and you're trying to find tools that are going to that are going to allow you to iterate and innovate quickly, being able to just pick up your entire stack and move it from point A to point B is uh, amazing. That's unbelievable. That's a capability that we haven't had prior to Kubernetes. So, and then in terms of... Um, Let me stop you there yeah, one yeah. second before you go on. Is that realistic for other companies to do or is it kind of because you guys specialize in some of that? I think, I think portability is something that practically every major shift in developer tooling has promised. Right. And it's only really now becoming a reality. So I think it is. It's becoming much easier and more realistic to pick up your stack and move it. With the exception, um, I think I mentioned before, that you've got all of these services that you might be using on any individual platform. And if those services aren't available anywhere else, well, then it's going to be tricky for you to pick up and move. It's an interesting element that you said that, though, because first off, yeah, I don't believe necessarily that, uh, you know, I've been told for a long time about portability. and, and yeah. that, But then at the same time, I go, well, it's not really... You are locked in. You're locked in. You're locked. <laughs> but when I, I heard um, the guy from the Air Force this morning speaking, I don't uh, know if you heard him. Yeah, I did. They're using Kubernetes on F-16s. Yeah. Very, very cool, which makes every other use case kind of, eh. But yeah, um, If you can do it on an F-16, you should be able to just do it anywhere. I mean. But he was just in a panel at lunchtime that I saw, and he was speaking about how his absolute priority is portability and right. avoiding lock-in at all costs. He right. was, any kind of tool anybody brought up that was going to lock him in any way, nope. Nope, nope. That's the end of discussion. That is, and I, I don't know enough about the American military to know why that would be such a priority, but it, it's just interesting and, and I think positive to hear that it can be done. You guys have done it. Yeah, and I think what's what's interesting about lock-in and the reason that we have an allergic reaction to it is we know that the stack we're building in today is, it's not likely that's the same stack that we're going to be building in in ten years. That's remained true. I mean. Uh, the, I started my career uh, writing in C++. I pretty quickly ended up working in Java. And then I was uh, one of the first people at BlackBerry to start using um, Node and, and um, GoInstant, the company that we founded before, before um, Manifold, was the first startup to be funded that was using Node in their ecosystem. And now, what are we hearing about CNCF over and over again? There's a lot of things happening in Golang and in Go. So I think as we add more tools to our toolbox, we want the flexibility to adopt the tools that make us productive when we're solving specific problems. You know, it's not that we're just throwing one tool out and we'll never go back to it. Java is still um, a great language, and you can do things in Java that you won't be able to do in any other language. C++ is the same, but we want the flexibility to move from one to the other because when you get the right tool for the job, you're not just a little bit more productive, you're at least 10 times more productive. Mm. So I think lock-in is, it's, it's, worth being, it's worth being afraid of lock-in. And now what we're seeing is we're seeing Languages are one thing. You move from one language to another, they all look a little bit a little bit similar. But we're seeing people move from platform to platform. That's a really big deal. So that's people moving from building monolithic applications on Heroku to adopting microservices and serverless. And now, you know, the new the new hot topic is what uh, what no code looks like. Right. You know, right. It's just it's another tool, and I'm sure there. I'm sure in a few years, you know. There will be lots of tool. There will be lots of tasks that we accomplish as developers without writing code. Yeah, that is really, really interesting. So I took you down a, a little rabbit hole. Yes, That's down okay. a little rabbit hole. <laughs> I know you were trying to answer a question very diligently about how you guys were using Kubernetes. 
you established some of that, but I think you're going to get into a little bit more of what else you guys have done in the community or what other projects you're using. Yeah, so we had two two key projects in the Kubernetes community, and they really were both just an expression of what we were trying to accomplish internally. The first one was called um, Highliner. I think the website and stuff is still up. There's definitely a repo uh, kicking around. And all we wanted to do with Highliner was make it simple for you to take a GitHub repository and deploy an application uh deploy an application to uh, a Kubernetes cluster. And that was just something that if you're a front-end developer that, that's working on Manifold's dashboards, we didn't want you to have to think about deployment. We wanted you to be able to tag a GitHub with, ta tag a repo in GitHub with a release and just have that automatically uh, trigger a deployment. So Highliner, it's out there, you can check it out. And then a project that might be a little bit more interesting and nascent, one of the challenges that Manifold helps lots of the vendors on the CNCF floor deal with is the idea that as a, as a developer, if I'm building an application, especially a high, uh, application that's going to live across clouds, I'm always having to pick which region my uh, application is deployed in. And so then I go and I buy a service from one of the vendors down, downstairs, and the, one of the first choices I make is uh, which uh, region should right. this live in. And that is okay if your application only lives in one region. But what if your application and the services that support it live in multiple regions? Or what if you want to be able to move an application that has more people looking at it, for example, let's say the EU suddenly gets a big traffic spike and now you want to, to spin up more resources in the EU. EU. Valence is a, a AI ML autoscaler that's built in, inside of Kubernetes that lets you do things like that. Valence, it's called. Valence, okay. Yeah. And is that a project that primarily folks from your company are working on, or do you have yeah. contributors from other companies as well? It's an internal tool that we've made externally available. Nice. Um, so it's, it's primarily maintained and managed by, by Manifold. So it sounds like you guys are involved in a number of different ways. Now, when we were looking at, uh, when we were talking about what we were going to talk on on this show, I had asked you what else you're passionate about, what else is interesting, and I, I think you brought up a project called OPA. Which Opa. I have never heard of Opa before. So tell tell me a little bit about what why you think that sounds interesting. Opa. So yeah, I, I was I was mentioning that I'd been a, a bit burned out on the road, and I'd uh, taken a little break while I had uh, two kids, and I'd come back, and I was surprised by just the number of new projects that have spun up inside of the Kubernetes ecosystem. Um, you know, many of them I've just kept track of online, but this was, well, this was one that really took me by surprise. Opa is Open Policy Administrator. I might be getting the, I may be getting the, the um, acronym wrong, but the idea I think is really powerful. It, 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 the idea is that you're able to break apart the definition of policies and the enforcement of policies. So when you're building an application with lots of services that need to talk to each other, what they have permission to do, what they have permission to communicate about, and which other services they can talk to, both inside of your network and outside of your network, is complicated. You know, it's hard to describe. And most of the time, I think at this point, we're still we're still either using the um, the network as the as everything you talk about. You can talk about anything inside of the network, and you can't talk about anything outside of the network, which especially if you're Manifold and you're thinking about how you're going to bring in all of these third-party managed services, it doesn't really work. And I think what I love about the idea of OPA is that we bring the same power and flexibility that we just have in Kubernetes in general, the way that you can describe your infrastructure in code, and we bring it to this frustrating mess that is just like policy, policy administration. Um, so you can describe a policy using, uh, you can describe and manage policies with APIs, and then you load a sidecar that enforces the policy as close to your, as close to where your code is run as possible. 
Um, and the other thing that he mentioned, which I guess maybe was just tapping into uh, some, some, some buzzwords and got my attention, was the idea that this is going to be really useful and effective when WebAssembly becomes more popular. Because enforcing policies, is, it, it introduces latency. You know, it's, it's another thing you have to do before you can respond to a request. And in an application with lots of services communicating with each other, there's a lot of uh, things to it. There's a lot of policies to enforce. And so I think having an expedient way to do that, um, WebAssembly being the option, I think, he, I think the, the, the speaker today said it was 20 times faster. Um, being able to do that 20 times faster in all of these different, when, it, when, it's, when it's scaled out this way is pretty amazing. So I think you know, when you combine this technology with WebAssembly as a standard runtime, pretty interesting stuff. Nice. So anybody who out there is uh, is listening and, and uh, is intrigued by OPA, look it up. See what it's all about. Open Policy Administrator? Something like Something that. Something like yeah. that. I will fact check this afterward and find out if you're lying to the audience or not today. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't even exist. I'll right. go and build it quickly <laughs> right. after the podcast. Yeah. I'm manifesting it into reality. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that we've missed that we ought to be talking about in regards to you and Manifold and what you guys are doing here this this time at KubeCon? I think if, if um, you're building a tool or service and you want to reach developers, then please check Manifold out. I mean, that's what we're here to do. We're here to help bring the best tools and services to developers on every platform. If you're a platform and you have a developer audience and you want to bring a library of or a catalog of developer tools and services to your audience, then you should check out Manifold too. Those are really the, the, the two reasons you might be interested in checking out Manifold. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate you uh, helping us understand what you guys do and helping us understand some of the neat things that are that are happening here at Kubernetes. I don't know how any one human can absorb everything that's going on. I mean, there's only so many sessions you can attend while you're here, and you only get such a narrow slice. I've noticed that even the exhibition now has like four or five sessions that seem to be running just at people's booths. They've just got their own schedules, and they've got people talking at them. And I caught one session um, in the exhibition in the exhibition hall that was. It was unbelievable. I mean, it could it should have been its own session, but it was it was just a um, guy delivering at his booth. So, right, everybody's yeah. raising their game here, and yeah. uh, it's impressive. I've uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. So, thank you very much. Stay in touch. 